so if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to the Gospel of Luke. We are, after almost a year, um, with some breaks, but almost a year, we're in Luke chapter 10 this morning. And so turn into that. Um, I'm going to read our passage for us this morning. I'm going to read uh, the first um, nine verses, and uh, then I'm going to pray one more time, and then we're going to dive into this really amazing passage here this morning. So read with me Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Pray with me, would you? Gracious Heavenly Father, once again, we come to you this morning. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for um, Dr. Luke, the physician, historian, uh, recording this uh, from the life of Jesus and the life of the disciples, this ongoing orderly account that culminates today in this, this second sending by Jesus of more men and women into the field, into the mission field, disciples going to make disciples. And so, Father, we pray today that you would just teach us, Holy Spirit, Use uh, the words that you've given to me, but more importantly, your words, your thoughts, to speak to us today. Teach us. Teach us what this means, not only for the hearers in that day, but for us today. And I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So how about some trivia to start? Mm -hmm. Trivia? Who here knows who has the most followers on Twitter? Now, if, if you do, we're going to pray for you right away, but... Anybody? Anybody have any idea who has the most followers on Twitter today? Anybody? <laughs> I, I figured someone would say, uh, Mr. President, uh, Donald Trump. Actually, he's number 13, but thanks for playing. That's awesome. Anybody else? With 160 million followers on Twitter, her name is Katy Perry. Anybody know who Katy Perry is? Raise your hands. Okay, we're going to pray for you right now. <laughs> she's, she's, she's okay. Um, number three is uh, previous president, go figure, Barack Obama. And uh, I went through the whole top 100. I mean, there's a list. I didn't go through them in depth, but I went through the whole top 100. And it was interesting to see. It's all, you know, like movie stars, um, songwriters, you know, you name it, TV stars, a few sports stars, people like that, uh, with millions and millions of followers. Barack, I believe, has, what's the number for Barack? 104 million, so he's only 2 million behind Katy Perry. We can do this, kids. You know, go follow Barack, right? But, you know, so it, it's, I mean, 
it's what it is. I mean, there's so many people. But it was number 100, believe it or not, was the only spiritual, quote, leader that I could find on Twitter. And guess who it is? It's the Dalai Lama. You know, not Jesus. Somebody was going to say, Jesus, he doesn't have a Twitter account that we know of. Okay? <laughs> Might have a fake Jesus Twitter account, but he doesn't really have one. So apparently, though, when I'm looking at this, it doesn't matter whether it's Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. I think one of the things, and me from my previous life in business and marketing, uh, can, can, can see this quite clearly. Um, social media is making it very clear to us. We're a bunch of followers. We really are. You know, I know none of you wanted me to call you that this morning, but we are followers. And it's actually not a bad thing when you think about it. We're followers. It's kind of in our DNA that we are to follow. And we have this inkling to want to follow people. Unfortunately, sometimes most of us put the wrong people in that role. And we follow the wrong people. I, I asked the question to myself, why are 106 million people uh, following Katy Perry? Nothing against her. She's a wonderful singer, songwriter. It's all awesome and so forth. But why? Why would that be the case? Well, somebody said on one of the posts, well, it's because they're using bots, right? And a bunch of bots are putting her posts up there. And that's possible too. But really, when you read some of the comments elsewhere, it's about the fact that apparently, apparently it's because she's so real. You know, she tells you everything about what's going on in her life. And people find that fascinating. Now, my question is, is that, is she really letting you into her life? Right? All of it? Because I think maybe we wouldn't follow her if that was the case from time to time. So the, I guess the point is this. We're followers. And it's not always a bad thing. We just need to confess it and acknowledge it and get to it. So last week we concluded this, I hope, that we all know this, that we, we know what good discipleship looks like, Right? I made the case last week that we know what good discipleship looks like. That's what last week's passage was about. That's actually what the whole gospel of Luke has been about so far, Jesus calling people to follow him and be his disciples. But we saw it played out in, again, how we follow people, but how we are being discipled by people. So I suggested to you, you know, whether it's a coach, a physical trainer, right, uh, whether it's a motivational speaker, whether it's tidying up with Marie Kondo, you know? Anybody else sign up for that this week, right? I saw pictures on Instagram of people with their closets all folded. So, so what, what, what we see by that, and again, it's not a bad thing, don't get me wrong, but we see from that is that we, we are being discipled by someone because uh, we're following them and we're listening to what they do or what they're suggesting, and we're thinking it's great, so we do it, and then, and then we tell others what we're doing, or we, we show them pictures of our folded closets, we're into discipleship. We know exactly what discipleship looks like. And then in the church, we're like, oh, I need to take a course so that I can be a disciple who makes disciples. No. We know actually what it looks like. Now, I guess we, today I want to dig into this a little bit with you. Isn't following exactly the same thing? Isn't it? I mean, is it the same or what's the relationship between the two? Well, let's look at it this way. Jesus, obviously, in the beginning, he called, remember, Peter and, and, and Andrew and James and John, and he said, boys, men, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you disciples who make disciples. And then, of course, we know exactly what happened, right? He said, follow me, and then he took them into a Bible study, right? Theology 101? No, he didn't. As soon as he called them, he said, okay, let's go. 
And he took them on a road trip, a ministry trip, showing them exactly what good ministry, quote, good discipleship is supposed to look like. From, the, from day one, he called them to follow him and, and do these things together. And so again, th- this is what good discipleship looks like. And, and throughout the gospel of Luke, for 1.8 years approximately by this point, that's what he's been doing. He's been doing that consistently, showing them what good following and good discipleship looks like. So this is from the Greek, by the way. And again, I don't want to get geeky with you, but this is important that we understand the Greek in the New Testament. And that is this. Basically, a follower is someone who comes behind or after someone else. So when Jesus said, you know, anyone who would come after me, right? Remember that verse? We loved that one last week, didn't we? You know, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. You know, this coming after thing. But then a disciple, the definition of a disciple is a learner. You guys know that, right? So there's a follower, someone who comes after, and then there's a disciple, someone who's becoming a learner. So, uh, I mean, listen, look at this way. I think also, though, we need to see this from the Scripture. You can follow somebody, but not really learn anything. Amen? Right? Like, you can be following for a while, and it's like, yeah, that was really cool, but I'm not doing my closet like that, okay? It's just not going to happen. It's not, you know, I don't have the time. I make up excuses. It's actually, obviously, a really good system, but I'm not going to learn it. And we actually see that in, in the life of the disciples. John, in his gospel, in chapter 6, verse 66, I know, it's 666. I'm not going to go there. He said this. He said, After this, after a lot of Jesus' preaching and teaching and miracles and all the rest of it, he said, after this, many of his disciples, learners, turned back and no longer walked, followed with him. So I I think we could think of it this way. Hear me, because this is kind of long, and I'll probably get to repeat it for you. But I think we could see this picture this way. Following and being followed is is discipleship. When and if we are learning who Jesus is, what he has done, and we then follow him in his footstep while calling others to follow us while we follow him. Can I repeat that? It's, it's, it's a big mouthful, but think about it. Following and being followed is discipleship. When and if we are learning who Jesus is, what he has done, and then follow after him in his footsteps, doing what he did while calling others to follow us while we follow him. So question, why do we find it so hard to follow Jesus? Why? That question came up in our missional community group this past Tuesday night. It's a good question. It's an honest question. But why do we find it so difficult to follow Jesus? Well, I think it's because, I mean, people read, I mean, maybe I'll just put it out to you. Do you think it's this? Is it because of that verse? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me daily, right? See, I don't know about you, but I've been raised in churches since, well, a number of years ago. But but I've heard this preached, and I've heard it, and it's one of the reasons why I didn't want to use the title for last week's sermon that is in most of your Bibles. I respect the commentators. They're smarter than me. But they, they would title that passage, The Cost of Discipleship. You see, the reason why I wanted not to, to title it that, but instead The Road Less Traveled, was because I think our perception of that is, is for some reason, is like, oh, this means I'm, I'm, my life is going to be horrible. You know, following Jesus is going to be really, really tough. 
it's going to be miserable. I'm going to have to sell everything that I've got and, you know, give it to the poor. And I'm never going to have anything. And I'm going to suffer many things. And, you know, that cross is going to be heavy. Anybody? Anybody got that T-shirt? Like, you've been raised to think following Jesus is going to be painful. Less than the best life now? I think I, think I have. The emphasis is too easily turned into that. And go figure, it's no wonder that if that's what our thinking is, following Jesus is that hard and that painful, it's no wonder we don't want to really go out and tell, tell other people, hey, follow me while I'm doing this. Right? Who wants to sign up for that? Imagine it this way, though. Imagine following Jesus in the day where this is being written. Think about these guys, okay? We're not going to get to it today. It's a very long passage about when they come back from this missionary journey, but they don't come back going, oh, it was tough. It was horrible. We had to pick up our cross every day. They actually come back saying, it was awesome. The word joy is used. You see, I got to believe that these men, when, when, they, when they, listen, if Twitter was around in that day, Jesus would have the number one account. We don't, we don't see that about them in our culture today. We're like, yeah, you know, a small guy had 12 guys you know, following him and so forth. No, thousands upon thousands of people followed him. I mean, one given day, he feeds 15,000 people. I mean, imagine tweeting that. How many followers would you get from that going out there? The, the people, the men that followed him, the women that followed him, they, they lacked nothing. They had everything they needed. They saw the, the dead being raised. They saw people being healed, lepers being healed. They saw all of this, the kingdom breaking out. It was an amazing time. It wasn't a cross to bear. Jesus bore the cross. Amen? Amen. It was an amazing time that they experienced. Why? Because they were following and learning and calling others to do the same. They were living the life that Jesus had saved them to live. So, friends, as we unpack today's text, I want you to keep that in mind. <laughs> Let's keep that in mind. Otherwise, we could read this text and go, that's 72 other people. Those are really holy and righteous people. That's not me. It is, actually. I hope you're going to see that today. So your title for today's message is Making Disciples Who Make Disciples. That's for you and me, and I hope to show you four things today. Number one, you need to have a heart for the lost. Number two, you need to pray for more disciples as you're going. And number three, you need to go and make disciples. And then fourthly, you need to proclaim the good news. Okay? Let's begin with verse 1 and the first point, a heart for the lost. After this, the Lord appointed, verse 1 tells us, 72 others. And he sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So one of the things that we learn about God, and we've learned this already in the Gospel of Luke, and I, I very much love him for this, but he's the original missionary, isn't he? He's the missionary God. He's the one who sends, and he's been doing that consistently. The greatest need we've ever had, and every human being on this planet today has, is that God would send a Savior to save us, right? That's the greatest need. So sending, having someone sent is critical. And so God, God took that up. Earlier in Luke's gospel, we actually heard Jesus proclaiming in his home synagogue in Nazareth, proclaiming why God has sent him, and that, in fact, God has sent him. You remember these verses from chapter 4, when Jesus preaching said this, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me. I have come from God. I am God in the flesh to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's the original missionary. It's always been the plan. He does it first. And, and we also see the pattern of what missionaries do, right? They, they first of all, incarnate. And second of all, they, they proclaim good news. And, and the, the good news is of, of the fact that people need freedom. They need freedom. And so he was sent to set us free from bondage, the bondage to our sin, to give us sight, to see the truth about who God is and what he's done, and that we might repent and come to him and trust him. Well, then at the beginning of chapter 9, which we finished last week, the longest chapter, I believe, 62 verses, it was really long, uh, we see Jesus calling and appointing, right, the 12 apostles. And, and he sends them out on the first short-term missions trip to do exactly what he's been doing, right? Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, heal the sick, cast out demons, proclaim the good news of the kingdom, and on it goes. This is the pattern that he is and has been modeling since the very beginning. And so now he, he's trained them for a little bit. He's shown them what this looks like, and he says, okay, your turn. <clears throat> go. And he sends out the 12 to go on this amazing trip. So first, in today's text, we see this. Je- Jesus appoints 72 others. I-, I love that. We're not told who they are, right? They're just others, right? Are they other apostles? No. The 12 apostles, those specific apostles, were chosen specifically by Jesus to be the foundation of the church. So, so who are these people, these others? Well, these others are, and I think the reason why that word is being used is because that should translate into everyone who is a follower slash disciple of Jesus is sent. These are just other disciples who were following Jesus. When I, when I thought about it, I was like, okay, wait a second. Jesus sends them out two by two, right? We read that, and it was like, well, well why, why was that? I mean, apparently there were some Old Testament references to people going out, you know, who were following rabbis, were always sent in twos. Uh, we know that some of the other, quote, <laughs> kind of Christian churches, but not really, uh, send out missionaries into Squamish every sun, sun, summer in twos, Right. And, and so it's sort of a pattern that's been done. I, I wanted to say that very gently, um, but you know what I'm saying, right? But in this particular case, I mean, Jesus, like, did he pick them like, like one older, one younger, um, th- like different gifts, right, and pair them up that way? We don't know. Apparently from the text, it, it didn't seem to matter. So what would be the reasons that he would send them out by two? And, and, and well, let's consider that. Um, and, and, and it speaks into our ministry today and and one-on-one discipleship with someone else in the church, two women, two men discipling each other in a relationship. Well, imagine they're going on this road trip, and, and one of them gets ill, and, and the, the other can support that person. Or one gets discouraged. You know, hey, we went into this town, and, and three towns in a row, and we're shaking off the dust from our sandals because they wouldn't receive our peace, and I'm a little discouraged. And, well, I've got this brother to be able to encourage me who's like, hey, don't worry about it. Jesus told us this would happen. And, and so maybe that's the reason why. We don't know, but it's a good pattern, wouldn't you say, to send people out in pairs so that they can encourage and strengthen each other? But I have this deeper question. Maybe should have looked at it earlier, but 
No, I left it here in my notes, and that is this. Why, why is Jesus sending out 72 now? Like, he's got the 12 sent out, and so there's the modeling, right? Those are the leaders, right? And, and now he sends these other two out now. Why, why would he do that? Well, actually, if you turn over to Matthew chapter 9, Matthew tells us what motivated Jesus. What motivated him at this point in time to say, no, 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 okay, listen, I need to send out some more. And if you look at those verses, it's really quite amazing. He's been preaching and teaching throughout Galilee, healing every disease and affliction. Then Matthew records this verse. He says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion. Later, we're going to read that he wept over Jerusalem. He had compassion for them because they were harassed. They were helpless. They were sheep without a shepherd. So what motivated Jesus, obviously, at this point in time, in Jesus' heart is, I've got to send more out before I get there to to prepare the soil. I love these people. He's having compassion for them. This is what motivates Jesus, his love for them. And obviously, listen, that obviously has to be in our hearts too, doesn't it? Like I can stand up here and say to you, listen, you need to be disciples who make disciples, right? And tomorrow you need to start going and doing it. And you're going to be like, yeah, pastor said so. <laughs> if, if, if your heart is not broken for the lost, if my heart is not broken for the lost, why would I be here on Sunday morning? Just to give a talk? Number one, motivation is that our hearts have to be broken for the lost. We have to care about people who don't need know Jesus. We also then need to know what we've got, right? Do you know what you've got in salvation in Jesus Christ? I, I, I know you do. Smile <laughs> for what you've got, right? But we've got to have that motivation. It, it has to be what we are... are if, if not, what's our motivation? Why would our motivation be to, to help people, like to help them have a happy, happy marriage or like, you know, to get a better job or, or, or to what? To, to help them tidy up their drawers? We're motivated to do that. Why? Because we, we care about them or we want to show them how much we, how smart we are. I don't know. But the motivation has to be that we have compassion for the lost. Secondly, Secondly, Jesus is saying to them, you need to pray for more disciples. I love this. This is amazing. He said to them, you should know this first by heart. <laughs> the harvest is plentiful, but the laborer is few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Very misunderstood verse. Hmm. We're going to unpack it today. Now, most of you know that we're part of... Um, a network called C2C, a church planning network. Um, It's literally, I've said this before, it's without exaggeration in my lifetime anyway, it's a literal movement of God. I've never seen anything like it in all my years in the church where 10, 15 years ago, churches started getting planting in Vancouver. The vision was birthed right here in British Columbia through our denomination. It was amazing, not that other denominations were, but it was birthed in a major way. And and, and what, what came... What, what happened is it started with us, and then it started to spread to other denominations. It's gone across Canada, um, into the United States. Uh, Tim Keller's City to City in Manhattan, New York, joined forces. Uh, then it spread to missions organizations, and now it is basically a global enterprise. Here's the thing. It was not birthed in the wisdom of man. 
It was not birthed in our efforts. It was birthed in one thing. Any guess? Prayer. It continues to go forth in prayer. Now, many of you also know this. Um, Those that are involved in church planting, whether it's Gordon, his team, and myself and others who are part of that that group or even people in our church, we, we have our phones set, right? Our smartphones set to ring every day. To notify us every day, buzz is better than ringing, um, at 10.02 every day to pray this verse. And we do. We pray it sometimes silently because we're with people or driving or whatever it might be. I mean, as soon as my, my phone buzzes in my back pocket, I'm like, oh, it's 10.02, pray. I know. Now, here's the thing that many of you maybe don't know this. That very idea was birthed right here in Squamish. Many years ago, about four or five years ago, the executive team of C2C was meeting at the executive suites. I was there helping set up um, the projector and various other things and there with the team. And I was there at the very moment at the table that the idea was birthed. And I remember pulling out the phones and showing others how we could set it on our phones, how to do this, right? And it was, everybody was like, well, this is really great, right? And, and sure enough, what, what time was it? It was around 10.02, right? And we figured it out. Let's pray. Luke 10.2, at 10.02, Gord Fleming and his national team took that back to every church planter and said, you want to be a church planter and get supported by C2C? You're going to set your phone. Okay, the threat wasn't actually there, but it was encouraged. Do you know what happened from that little idea that happened at the executive suites in Squamish, British Columbia, little tiny Squamish? Do you know what happened? Well, it spread across Canada. And then Gord was over in China, and he was speaking to missionaries over there, and he shared the idea there and also in Korea. And people there were like, um, it was somewhere in Asia. I, I, I might be specifically wrong on this locations, but actually someone came up to him afterwards. A, a pastor came up to him after and said, oh, by the way, is this copyrighted? <laughs> the idea, right? No. And, and so they, they signed up, and within like a month or so, that this pastor got a hold of Gordon and go, we've got 1,000 people doing this, right? This has spread through Canada, the United States, around the world through church planning organizations. Currently, and I asked Gord this week, can you give me an idea of the spread? 30 countries, over a million phones a day are going off and people are praying. It's kind of funny that if you come to multiply in February on fifth, uh, February and 6th, I, I can guarantee you something's going to happen during the conference which causes everybody to kind of laugh. We'll be sitting there. And all of a sudden you hear, ding, ding. And you're like, okay, that's, that sounds like a different sound. Um, <laughs> sorry. But, you know, like the buzz happens, right? And, and, and people will start smiling, and, and there's a speaker on stage going, what's going on, right? And it's our phones. It's very encouraging. I wanted to encourage you with that because, listen, th- this is what Jesus does here. He sends them out and says, pray for more laborers before you go out and as you're going out. Why? You're going to need them. When you tell them, when you show up and, 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 bring, and call peace to be on their home and you live life on life with them in their homes and eat and drink with them and you share the kingdom with them, me, with them, they're going to believe you and you're going to need more laborers and some of them are going to be those laborers. So pray that. Pray that. Pray that. Number three, go and make disciples. Verses three and four literally say, Jesus speaking to his disciples, go. Reminiscent of what verse? Matthew 28, 19 and 20, right? 
Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. And so, as I said, Jesus is really using the same language that he uses in the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. <laughs> that's, that's what he's sending them to do. He's already modeled it for them. They've seen what it looks like. They know what to do, and they go. And they go and do this. Now, the word go there in, in the tense, again, in the original language, essentially means this. Go, keep going, and going. And it's like, don't look back, right? Keep going. It's, it's a present perfect tense. It's go, go, go. And then he adds the best recruiting line that I've ever heard. Isn't it amazing? I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Okay, that's right up there with deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, isn't it? I mean, it's a great recruiting line. Anybody ready to sign up here this morning? Make sure we read this right. He's not saying they're going to be devoured, is he? They won't be. He's with them until the end of the age. Right? But he's saying you're going to run up against opposition. Clearly. So from verses 4 to 8, Jesus tells them, listen, it's a short-term missions trip, but also he's saying... you." Rely on me. Rely on the generosity of my people who are out there. And when you enter their home and you bring peace upon their home, you bring the kingdom to bear on their home, they'll look after you. So you're not going to need anything. Don't get sidetracked also on the road. You know, like, you know, like you know, as you're going by, you go, hey, this is a really cool town. Everybody's really well. No, keep going to the towns that I've sent you to. And, and don't look around or look back. And when you arrive at the, the next town, listen, bless that home with the words of peace. And, and if they say, Peace be to you, too. Come on in. Go on in. And, 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 and if they say, get out of here, take your blessing somewhere else. I, I don't know how many times, like I, I, I've told, said this before, I, I know Christians who are trying to follow Jesus, right? But they want to get into this, they, they get fixated on this one person or this one couple or one, and it's like, you know, like for, they'll spend a year trying to witness to these people who are potentially belonging to a cult or whatever it might be. And, and it's like, like, at some point it's like, move on. <laughs> there are lots of other people out there who are, you know, and it sounds a little, that sounds a little harsh, but this is what Jesus is getting at here. If you're welcomed, bring peace. If you're not welcomed, well, you can still try, but at some point, take that peace that's been returning to you, to someone else who's, who's waiting for that peace to come into their lives. And so that's what it looks like to follow Jesus and make disciples who make disciples. I want to create a new hashtag. It's hashtag MDWMD. Sounds like W. No. Um, it's a good one. Let your heart be, listen, be broken for those who are far from God, those who are lost. Pray in advance before you go for more laborers. And then go, go, and live life on life with those who welcome you and, and want to know more. Go, go, and make disciples. Now, I've got to qualify this. You and I know that actually we don't make disciples, right? We, we love on people and so forth. It's the Holy Spirit who turns them into a, a true follower. But again, a disciple is a learner, so we can, we can make someone into a learner, but we don't save people. I've got to make sure we clear that up. Number four, proclaim the good news. Proclaim the good news. So simple. Verse 9 says, Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Again, the Greek for the word heal is really, really interesting here. 
It's the Greek word therapeso, which literally, we get the English translation, therapeutic, right? So it's, it's not the same like be healed. You know? it, it, it isn't necessarily that. Literally, it means to attend to someone, to care for them, to minister to them so that they might be made whole. That's what the word literally means. And so how do you do that? Well, again, the instruction's there. Eat with them. Be family with them. Learn about their family. Learn about their brokenness. Learn about their needs. Care for them. Minister to them. And then he says, say. Proclaim the good news. The kingdom of God, the good news of the gospel has come to you. We are his emissaries. He's on his way to your home. It'll be awesome when he gets here and you invite him into your home and into your life. So I left these final words for today, uh, in Scripture anyway, out at the beginning so that we could focus on, first, the compassion part, right? Secondly, the praying. Second, thirdly, the going. And fourthly, the proclaiming. We must do all of those things. We must. But we also must remember we will be rejected, but there are also consequences. Now, I know a lot of us want to give the good news on the one side, right? But it's also good news to let people know Jesus is being honest here again, isn't he? Just like last week. We must tell them there are consequences. Jesus said this in verses 10 to 12 to those who he's sending. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets publicly saying, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we will wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than that town. Honesty. There are consequences. This should not fill us with fear, but I think it should fill us with compassion. Amen? To keep going and going and proclaiming the truth of the gospel to people. So in conclusion, let me suggest that the main reason why we struggle with uh, making disciples who make disciples is because we fail to see ourselves individually as Christians for who we really are. Now, I don't know about you guys, but another thing that I learned in the church many, many years ago uh, that is wrong, but I was kind of led to believe this. And, and again, you can let me know whether you got the T-shirt, but I was led to believe that missionaries are the people who really take Jesus literally, right? They deny themselves, right? They decide to live a life of poverty, and they're the ones who go over there, right, to those faraway lands, and they'll never have a home of their own, but they might have a hut, you know, in Africa somewhere, and, and those people are the missionaries. But, but, but you, 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 you guys here, no, no, what, what, you know, what, I, what I was told and taught was this. Well, your job is to pray this prayer for them. Anybody kind of had that impression? That our job is to pray, Lord, send out more laborers to help those poor people who are going over to Africa or wherever it might be because they need the help. You guys didn't go to the same church as me, obviously. I, 
our church is, right? But I, I kind of got the impression. Then the other was, the other idea was, and the reason why also you're here is because you are supposed to go get really good jobs so you can give money to the church so we can send it to missionaries. I obviously went to a very weird church, but I just got that impression. But then all of a sudden, one day it became very clear to me, thanks to some good preaching and teaching and reading, that's just not right. We're all missionaries. Every single one of us were missionaries. And I like to put it this way. You guys know that I'm in full-time ministry, right? I'm your full-time pastor here at the Rock Church. I'm in full-time ministry. But I'll tell you what, the only difference between you and me is the way Jesus or God routes our paychecks. We're in full-time ministry. And so here's how we see it at the Rock. We know who we are. Our tagline on our e-newsletter, and, and we say this all the time, we are a family of missionary servants. And where do we get that from? From the Great Commission, right? Jesus said, go, right? He said, go, right there. And all the nations baptizing in the name of. Now, some people think this is just what pastors quote when they baptize people. No, this is a naming ceremony. So this is your identity. You're being baptized into the name of the Father. What does that mean? That means you're now being an adopted, becoming an adopted child of God. You're now brought into God's family. So your identity is as a child of God in God's family. Secondly, you're being baptized in the name of Jesus, which means you're a servant of King Jesus. And how do you serve Jesus? By serving others. And so that's part of your identity. And lastly, you are sent in the power of the Holy Spirit, by Jesus as missionaries. And so th- that, that's our, our, our full-on identity. And so knowing this, I think you can, if you put it all together, what we've learned here this morning, you can. You can make disciples who make disciples. And here's a simple way, a, three things, simple way for you to be able to, I think, see that in your life. As you follow Jesus, maybe do this. Invite others to gather with us here on Sunday as part of the family. Or, or invite others to come to your missional community group and, and learn what functional family we're trying to be, okay? We're, we're not there yet, is supposed to look like, where people love each other and show up for each other and eat meals together. Maybe invite them to do that as you're following Jesus. Invite others to follow you into that. Well, how about serving? Here's a really good idea. How about you invite someone to uh, follow you as you gather on Sunday and, and teach the kids upstairs? Like maybe a mom or dad who's new to the church say, hey, I got a really good idea. Why don't you, this is sneaky, isn't it? Why don't, but it's true. Why don't you come with me and be my helper in Sunday school class while I teach some of the kids this week, uh, your kids and serve you and your children? Why don't you follow me as I'm doing that? Or on the worship team or on the setup team or on the cafe or whatever it might be. How about you do that? While I'm serving and following Jesus, you follow me in that. See the pattern? And how about lastly, you know, like we've got a group of people who want to go back to Mexico this year and build another school for people in in the Baja and Vicente Guerrero. Uh, You could call some people to follow you as you become a missionary in that sense, right? Make sense? So two questions before I give you two applications really quickly. First question is, are you following today? Are you? Do you know what to say? The basics of the gospel. Well, in that case, you need to be a learner and keep coming here and come to small group and maybe read a little bit, but it's actually very simple. You know. 
Jesus died on the cross in your place and my place for our sins. That's the nutshell, but there's a little bit more, obviously. But you know, you can know those things. Two asks I want to leave you with. Two asks. First, I want to ask you, every one of you here today who claims Jesus as your personal Savior, I want to ask you to become a disciple maker who makes disciples, to join with us on this mission to reach Squamish. Secondly, final ask for today, Will you set your smartphone? I can show you how it's done. <laughs> Will you think about it? Set your phone for 10:02. And you may be in, you may be busy, you may be with someone, you may be driving. Don't you know, but when the buzz goes off, you know. Here's what might just happen because this is what's happened for me. It it doesn't just remind me to pray, which it does but it reminds me of who I am. And it reminds me of the mission that we are on together here in Squamish, here in this church, and globally with millions of people who are praying in the same time zone, maybe 100,000, together. Will you do that? Pray with me, would you?